Hi guys, welcome along to On The Whistle. I'm your host, Zain Nabi, and today we will be speaking to a rising star who fled the Ukraine soon after the war broke out. Amilcar Jaukajovi, who played for Vorskla Poltava, tells us about his harrowing escape and how his safe passage out was secured after a call from the Croatian Prime Minister. Yes, you heard that correct. Kajovi also recalls all the details of his dramatic road trip, his emotional reunion with his family, and talks about how one day he could play for the Ivory Coast or Guinea-Bissau. Take a listen to my interview with him now. Amilcar, you've been through quite the ordeal uh, since um, you left the Ukraine. For everyone listening out there, could you explain your story? No detail is too small. Tell us where you were playing, your club, and what happened before you left the country. It was the 27th of February. It was my birthday. Um, that night, I had, I, had, um, I had gunshots, and I thought there were fireworks. I told my teammate, oh, are the fireworks? They said, oh, yeah, the fireworks. And then I went to sleep that night. It was the night of my birthday, I went to sleep. When I woke up, the siren woke everyone up. The siren was like around the sea, going very loud uh, for like 20 minutes. So I woke up and I had like five missed calls from my dad. My mom called me really worried. I picked up and told me like I seen on the news like Kiev, the capital. Um, they heard explosions in the capital and near the cities around Kiev. So I was, that's when I started panicking. I was like, oh my days, I opened my suitcase, I put everything inside. And then um, I went outside to see what's going on. Like inside the accommodation and all my teammates were like oh my god like they invade ukraine like it's actually happening so that's when i started like panicking a lot and then my agent called me my mom like how are you gonna get out what's your plans try to find something to get out that was in the morning like around 8 a.m and i was thinking like right now like i don't know how i'm gonna get out like i will go and ask like my coach and stuff he said to me i asked him like um what's going on he said the second thing coach told us let's go out for training I said, mm, I'm not going training. Like, you know, they just invite. I want to go home. I said, I'm not going training. Yeah. So um, I told them, like, no, I'm not going training. Like, how am I going to get out of the country? They said, okay, we'll have a meeting. I sent a message to the group chat. They said, we'll have a meeting. Got at the stadium at 12 o'clock. So I said, all right. Then the coach went to the stadium and he said, all right, you stay here in accommodation. Um, I'll just get the information needed and then we'll come back and let you know. But then, um, so just to ask a question, Amalcar, what day was this? Was this Feb twenty third? This, this was this was on Thursday. Th the, okay, the Thursday gone perfect. Yeah. And where's the accommodation in relation to the stadium? Is twenty five minutes away driving. Okay. Okay. Cool. Sorry to disturb you. I just wanted to All get right. that. Keep going. You're telling the story really well. All right. Um, so yeah, now um, I'm at uh, accommodation. Yeah, I'm obviously done my suitcase, everything. I'm waiting downstairs. Uh, obviously, my Ukrainian teammates, they can't leave. So they're just looking away to get back home, to the family safe and make sure everything's all right. But I'm there now by myself in the accommodation. And I'm thinking, like, what's going on? I don't have no news, anything. So then I call one of my teammates and they tell me, we're in the stadium already, like, all of us, we're in the stadium, all the foreigners. I'm like, I haven't been informed. Like, the coach told me to stay here, he'll come back and stuff. And then I was like, um, what's going on? He said, bro, at this time of point, you have to be like, it's everyone for themselves. Like, you get to the stadium. Don't wait. Don't wait for anyone or anything. Just get to the stadium. 
and let's plan something with the out. So now I'm, it's 12 o'clock, I'm trying to get a taxi to the stadium, obviously, no taxi will come and pick me up. So I'm there for one hour, two hours, waiting, 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 no taxi will come. Luckily, one taxi picked up and I got a taxi to the stadium. And in the stadium, they said, um, the staff, the team, they told us that we'll, uh, they will try and organize a, um, a, car, a, a bus for us to like go to the borders. But also they said that they think we should stay there for a couple of days till things come calms down a little bit more and then try and go out because right now it's chaotic on, on the roads, too much traffic. And then I was like, no, I don't want to stay here for two days. Like this city could be the next one to like be bombed or anything. Like I'm not safe here. I don't want to be here. My mom was like, no, you need to get out tonight. So then we were, they were moving a bit slow for the things that were happening there. And they also had family there, the, the staff from my team and stuff. So. Now I went to my teammate's house, um, Lucas, uh, he's from Brazil. And then one of my other teammate, Oliver, he's from Luxembourg. And, and yeah, all three went to his apartment near the stadium, like five minutes away from the stadium. So we were there for a couple hours. We got some food from the shop quick, like some snacks, in case we had to like go water. And you know, the most important thing is just water and like a couple of snacks. And then we had our suitcases ready and everything. We were looking for cars. Um, Looking for cars to like get out of the country ASAP. Um, within, within, with the staff also, they told us that we might, we might be able to get a train, but then later on, later on in the day, they said no trains available. So their staff, their team really didn't have any resources to help us at that time. Like they told me they were, they were going to help me. So I was a bit like, you know, disappointed. Like my mom, everyone, like, you know, it's my team, they should be taking care of us a little bit more. And then, then luckily, yeah. In football, particularly when you're at a club and you're a foreign player, the club becomes your family because yes, you're not from there. And mm. they had told you that it would be safe if anything bad was going to happen. They would know, their families would know, and they would tell you. So they encouraged you to come for the start of the league season. They then told you, or the coach told you to go when it was all unfolding to wait at the accommodation. And it was your teammates who said, hang on, we've got to make a plan. Do you feel that the club was overwhelmed and they miscommunicated? Do you feel that they misread the situation? Um, or do you think in the panic they were basically like, Just you know what, you saw yeah. yourself out. And tell, tell me in your words how you... Um, uh, in my way, I was just thinking like, they didn't really think, they, they didn't believe they would invade. So they kept saying me like, yeah, if they invade, we would, we would help you out. But when it actually happened, they didn't know because I was thinking like if they invade, what's the plan? How will I get out? Because there's no airports. Like, what's the plan? What? How would you get me out? They didn't know. Like, they were they weren't pre- they, were, they weren't really prepared of you know how to get out. So when it happened, plus their families they were in the capital as well. So you might have your teammates, your players, your your players, your family, people like telling you how how can I get out and this. So I just felt like. Everything came up too quick, like it just happened, and then they didn't know what to do. Basically, I think they were panicking. So yeah, basically that the, for my team, yeah, I didn't really get the help I thought I was gonna get, and then I just went. Did, to my... did the coach phone you at any point and apologize and explain? Have you have you heard from him since he told you wait here, we'll come and get you? No, I haven't heard anything yet. I don't think I would hear anything. So. I'm not really now bothered about that because I'm home safe, but I'm just like, you know, I'm disappointed of how they organize the stuff. 
but um, mm. you know, I can't complain. I can't be like also just you know complaining too much about them because also I understand some of the part where they have families in Kiev where it actually happened. The coach, the coach went to Kiev as well that same day. He took his car, went to Kiev to see his family. So you know, I don't really blame them because you know he might be as well nervous. Like you know, family is there where the game bombed. So he he literally went straight to Kiev when he had the opportunity. But then I was at the at the army now with my teammates. We're there planning how to get out. And then at five five p.m. we got like a call of this one of my teammates' agent from Luxembourg, Oliver. Um, he said like, okay, there's two cars in Poltava where, where you people are staying right now. The kids are there um, in the stadium. You can go and get them, and then you can drive from Poltava to my house. It's near the border. It's near the border. Uh, it was in the mountains somewhere. So it was like ten hours away from the border, but for all that was close after the long journey we were, we were gonna do. So we could get there some rest, and then we would leave the cars at his house, and then he would have a minivan, and a driver from Ukraine would drive us to the border. So now um, the Brazilian, one of my Brazilian team, my Brazilian teammate, Lucas, um, he got contact with the, some Brazilian family that were going past Poltava, go also to the border. So that means we had three cars now. Uh, we were 10 people. So we had five one car, five another car, and then Lucas went with the Brazilian family. So we left all together with three cars to, to Poland. Uh, our first was to the border, border in Poland. So we started the journey. We had a little kid as well, who was three years old. Yeah, we had a little kid uh, from my team, the team, my team, my son. Um, so we were driving now to the border in Poland uh, at night, but it was really dangerous. So before leaving, we decided like, it's either, they said, basically, it's either try or stay. Because if you're going to get bombed, you're either going to get bombed at home or on the way to your, like to the border. So at least if something happens, at least let's do a try. Because they said after 10 p.m. no one should leave the houses because that was the night that happened, so it was really dangerous to go out at night. So if we went to the border, we had to go past Kiev, but there was another option that was like if Kiev is here, we should go like all around the border until we avoid Kiev. But that would talk, that would take like 15 hours more. But in that moment, we, we thought like that's the safest option at the best route. So five hours driving now, my teammate, um, my teammate from Luxembourg called one of his teammates. The, the, from the national team from Luxembourg and he asked him like how, how are you like how are you doing and he told us that he's at the border he's chaotic he's been there for 15 hours this he's nowhere near to go inside so he told us this and then we thought like let's try and look for another borders because there must be other borders open and they told us we had Romania um, Slovakia and Hungary and at that point we were a bit more closer to Hungary than the other two Romania or Slovakia so we decided to go to Hungary. So the two cars that were, there were three cars here. And then my other teammate's car was in front of us. So we just told him and called him. And then Lucas, we were looking for the other car, but he was already like more up front. So we called him. He said, oh, it's all right. I'm going to the Polish border. We said, bro, please go to the Hungary one. The Polish one is really like right now is chaotic. You will take time for you to get there. So well, we're already on the way. Let's, you know, we'll just keep updated. We said, all right, we, we're driving now. Uh, it was like maybe 4 a.m. in the morning now. We went to get some petrol. To get petrol, you go to a gas station, there's no petrol. We had to go to the next, the next gas station. There's no petrol as well. We found petrol and to put just petrol in the car, it would take like three hours because of the queue of the cars. 
or sometimes we just walk and get the petrol in like you know this like your you know to put the petrol inside so we get them or we just put it inside uh, from the gas station but it would take like three hours because of the key of the amount of cars that were trying to leave the country to the borders and stuff and then now uh, in the morning before on the way to the house of the agent to leave the cars and like get the minivan and get some rest our car broke down on the middle of the road in the motorway wow so you're battling borders your gas is running out and now your car breaks down yeah like uh, something happened because the roads were going in they were like normal roads you know like when you go like through the village and stuff the roads are like sand with holes like and it's night time as well so they were going with the car and hit one bump and then they, they like the wheel the uh, air the, the tires went flat so we had to stop and then you could see like the tanks of the of ukraine like the big tanks going past and i was like outside i was scared like after the russian troops like i was just scared because you see the tanks the noise they were like like they were very 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 big and then you could see like loads of them inside and they're just going past all, all the time at night time and then obviously because they told us at night time would be more dangerous we're just outside on the road called like at 5 a.m and then no one's trying to stop and help so we finally managed to uh, get another wheel that was we had a, like a spare wheel in the car we managed to like uh, put the tires and everything. It took like two hours maybe to leave the place. And then we started taking the journey. And then we went into traffic again. And that traffic was, that was one of the longest one. It was like five hours at night. So then literally when the traffic actually started moving, it was daylight. And then I was having more calm because when it's daylight, you know, it's not as bad when it's nighttime. But then in that, that moment of time, you could see like buildings with smoke and like fire, um, that's when I was worried again, I was getting worried, I was like, like, you know, that looks like you could smell the smoke in your car, it was on fire, but we could smell it like it was too much smoke around like that road. And then uh, we kept driving, 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 and then we got, we got to the agent's house, where we slept for three hours, we got some food, he brought us some food, um, we all stayed there for a couple hours, three, four hours, and then, we decided to continue the journey to the border now to Hungary. Um, where he rented us a minivan, where we could all nine of us get inside the car plus the little kid, and then he he rented a driver that would drive us there. But obviously the driver's from Ukraine, so he's not allowed to go to the border, like you know, go to the border. So his job was just to get us to the border, and then we, we will walk a little bit and then get there and then try to pass. Because we, before getting there, we make sure we'll be able to go past walking because obviously we won't be able to go with a vehicle. So after driving for like 10, nine, 10 hours to the border, we get there now. We've, we're obviously happy. I think we're finally, we're finally here after this long journey. We got there and I said, no, you can't go through with, um, you can't go through walking. You need a vehicle. We're thinking what different makes going walking on with a vehicle. At, at that point, surely you're like, I mean, you must just feel really helpless. Yeah, that, that time I was thinking there's no way. We saw them the embassy letters that they, they talk with the Kiev embassy, all of it. No, 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 I don't care. Go, I don't care. We were thinking what is going on. They could see we had a little baby crying, like he's been trying to for how many hours. They didn't care. They just looked at us. Now, ask someone to get in the vehicle or something like that, and then you might be able to get inside. And I was like, at that point, I just gave up. I was thinking, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna go through it. And then um, we asked people, like, who would get in the car, just literally, like, 
the board is here, the card is here. You just have to go like that and we'll get out. We'll find our way out from Hungary, but just let us pour past. 1.5,000 euro. You have to gain the car. One so people were charging you 15, what, 1,500 euros just to take you across the border? Just literally to enter the car and go to the border and then get out. So like 20, 20 second drive. And let me get the figure right. 1,500 euros. Yeah, one thousand. Wow, yeah. I mean, no one. That, and these were just normal people crossing the border, not. No, yeah, yeah, normal people, and some people like they actually bring cars there, so they they will have a minivan, empty, and their their job is just to get people inside, but charging them. I mean, where's the humanity? I mean, this is a racket. That's what I said. That's what they were saying. Like my team is like at this point, like really, there's a war going on. Like, if they kill you here, what are you gonna do with the money? Literally, like, why you know, literally laying inside, and then obviously, that afterwards, waiting there for three hours at the border, thinking how we're gonna get out. Now, my Croatian teammate called Ivan, he was calling the embassy, and then we were sat down, just like giving up. And then he called, like, come, come quick, come quick. So, all like the group who were together, the 10 of us, went there. And the prime minister from Croatia, he called the embassy in Kiev, and they contacted the border. And they let us through. They just let us. They just literally open the gate and let us through. And then we were thinking like, so now, so for for us to go through, someone big has to call like you know the border to let us in. Like there's no difference between us. Like we're gonna go in regardless. But why do you need someone like with power to call you to let us in? So the Croatian prime minister had to call the. Um... I think he called the embassy of. Croatia and Ukraine. I don't know who he called, but I just know like he's he, he's the one that got involved and made us like help us to just cross the border. Wow! And how did your teammate get the details for the Croatian prime minister? <laughs> and that's what we, that's what we he said. He said, "Guys, I'll be so honest with you. I have no idea how we managed to do this. Like, I just called the embassy of Croatia, and then wow. they got involved with them. And that's but we just got lucky. Like literally, we just luck. F- forgive me for asking um, a really ignorant question, but." Who is your teammate from the Cro- Croatian? Does he play for the national team? Uh, no, he just plays for he plays for my team. Uh, he's called Ivan Pesic. He 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 just one of my teammates. He plays for our team. He's from Croatia, and yeah, that's all. Well, yeah, he's the one that that's literally saved us. That is amazing. You obviously didn't get a chance to speak to um, the Croatian PM, but have you managed to speak to anyone at the embassy or from Croatia to say thank you for yeah, organizing yeah, this? Right. Yeah, the embassy from Spain, they said that, yeah, they also thank, uh, they went and uh, said thank you to the Croatian embassy because, you know, they, the embassy from Spain, they also couldn't, like, they tried everything and, you know, they couldn't get through. So they were really, like, they, they were really glad that they helped us and they lost through. I mean, that, then, is, that is such an incredible story. But... I want you to keep going a little more because I'd imagine part of the story is you've now Just gone through. <laughs> what happens from there? Yeah, now now we're going through the border now, and um, we're we're going to this Italian bus where we're all Ukrainian people, but from Italy with Italian passports. They were going to Napoli from the, from Ukraine from Hungary. They were going to Napoli, so we were there uh, waiting for you know getting like check the passports and everything. We ended up like two hours. Thing was, it just every time you get to another point, you have to wait. Like, why loads. did you have to wait two hours? What because the, the boss they were taking everyone's passport, 
and the bus was literally full and I had to take every single one of our suitcase and stuff. So it's just taking more long and long and long. But yeah, finally, um, when we go past now the border, uh, actually enter Hungary now, we're in Hungary now. Uh, Croatia and Hungary, I think it's not too far from each other. So their parents from my other Croatian teammate, he's called David, his parents drove to the Hungary border to pick us up. They rented one minivan and they brought their car because they were going to drive from the Hungary border to Croatia and then they also come and pick us up. So when we go to the Hungary border, they came and they took me to the hotel with my other two uh, teammates and, the, and his wife. So they took us to the hotel in Budapest that was four hours away from the border. But before that, first thing we done was go to McDonald's and have some food, some warm food, because we, for, for the whole journey, like two days traveling, all I had was sprinkles, water, and chocolate. What so, did that McDonald's taste like? Like heaven. <laughs> like literally, it was warm food. Like I was just, uh, the best McDonald's I ever had in my life. It tasted so nice. Wow. I mean, this is such an incredible story. What did you feel when you got through the border crossing between the Ukraine and Hungary? What was that feeling? It's relieved, like, I just felt good for me, but more was for my family, because I know now, like, at least they could, you know, because my parents were, were not sleeping, all my friends were on my phone, like, I just felt like finally I can give them good news, because sometimes, like, for example, they're broken, like, the car when we broke down, I didn't tell my parents, I didn't tell people, because the stress is going on, and now I'm telling them this, and then I get no signal, they'll have no connection. I'm outside, the car is broken down, you know, they'll be more worried, so I didn't want to give them that much stress. So I was just waiting, and sometimes I wouldn't reply because there's no news, like, it's just the same thing happening, like, I'm just here waiting, I'm stuck here, I'm not going anywhere. So sometimes I would not reply just to, like, not give them bad news, just like, yeah, it's okay, we'll get through soon. But when I finally crossed the border, I just feel relieved, like, like I can finally just tell my parents that like, I'm good, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm safe. And yeah, that was the best thing, like just letting my parents know that I was, I was okay. So you're in Hungary. Um, how does the journey get you from, uh, what is the journey from there to the United Kingdom now? How did you manage to organize that? So um, we've gone to a hotel, at the, I bought a ticket from Hungary to England. And then I, the ticket was for the day after the, the so I think it was 24th now. So it was for the 25th, the fly. So yeah, um, I stayed over at the hotel in Budapest airport. It was inside the airport, so it was, it was really good. So we didn't have to like, get a taxi or anything. I just had to walk to the airport, literally inside. So we got there, uh, I stayed with my teammate. He fly to Luxembourg in the morning. I fly at 5.50, he fly at 12.30. So he left a bit earlier, he got there safe. He let, he let, he let me know he could save there. But I stayed at the hotel and then just there, um, uh, got my flight five fifty. Uh, went to the airport. Everything was fine. The control was fine. Go inside the plane safe. Everything was good. Then I got to uh, Manchester at seven seven fifty, and my agent came and picked me up and brought me to my house. My mom started crying. She saw, she saw me first thing. She started crying, touched me. Oh, in one piece, like she was just loaded, like emotional for my agent saying thank you for bringing my son back. Like it was really emotional. Yeah. I can imagine the fear, the concern, the emotion for all of you. Um, what was the, the first thing you said to your mom? Uh, I'm back. 
like I'm good. And I told her like, what's for dinner? Because I'm starving. What was for dinner? Yeah, I was starving. Uh, it was um, one of my favorite plates. It's called, it's an Ivorian plate. It's called Atike. I had that. I always ask my mom to make that when I come back from Ukraine for like holidays, like the two months over half. The first day I eat is that. So my mom knew what I wanted when I first came. It was there and the table was ready waiting for me. So that felt and, really cool. And if you can explain to everyone out there, including myself, whet my appetite a little bit more, what is the dish? Is it vegetables? Is it meat? It's, it's like, if I can, you know couscous? Like, I do know couscous. I love well, couscous. It's like a bit, a bit more big, and then you put like fried plantain. You know plantain. Yeah, you no plantain. plantain. It's great. And then, yeah, and then like fish, and then like it's like atake is like couscous, but like a bit better. Oh, that's amazing. So, that is, yeah. You're making me hungry right now. This is what we should be eating as we break bread on your ordeal, not to make light of it in any way. Um, but, but Amilcar, I mean, coming back, seeing your parents, I mean, you talk about being relieved. Um, you talk about tears. What did they say to you? What did you say to them? Um, and um, what was that meeting like with your agent who I know, Sariba? Yeah, yeah. Um, with him, saw me as well. He was like, because he was all the time, I was on the phone to him all the time while I was there. So sometimes, because I had too many people at once, I would just, I couldn't reply to everyone. So I would keep them, I would try to keep them uh, updated on my Islam story. Or, you know, just trying to, because instead of replying to everyone, if I could just put a big message to everyone, so everyone can just watch what's going on. So I, I, I would start doing that or calling my agent and let, let tell him to let my parents know. Or just like sometimes calling someone like knows loads of people that I know, um, family like relative, and then just let them know what's going on. So it's just like when he saw me, he just gave me a big hug, my agent, like saying like finally like because even his mom, my agent's mom, was like, you have your, you have this age, one of your clients in Ukraine, like getting back. His mom was so worried. So imagine like your parents are on your back now, like. So he was also really, really worried. Like he is the one that told me, like he would come to Turkey and take me home. And then from there we'll see what's going on. And I was like, this. I was like, no, this. Let me just go back to Ukraine because the same is fine. But then he knew from the mm -hmm. call, like he sort of come to Turkey and pick me up from there to avoid all of this. But you know, at that moment it was different for me. So I got you, Amilka. You're 19. You've just turned 20. Yeah. When you hear those bombs go off on your birthday. Yeah. Was I was like, I was thinking, what a present, like, me. I was like, my birthday was literally on the 22nd and they invaded on the 23rd. I was like, wow. The old 23rd, 24th, I think, but yeah, it was just close to my birthday when they invaded and I was like, I was first of all, I didn't do nothing for my birthday because I was in Ukraine and then I was like, I stayed in my room. But, uh, I was just thinking, like, 20 years old, like, who would have thought in 2022 would have had, like, a big war like this? And then now I'm just, like, a bit, I'm still, like, really stressed about my teammates because I speak to them. Like, my teammate called Ivan from um, my Ukraine, he's a Ukrainian citizen. He's at home. He's telling me, like, explosions keep waking me up. I see fire from my room. I've got all the teammates that live in the capital. You can see explosions every night. You can see, like, fire. You can see... Uh, uh, people getting taken to the army, like they're really straight, have to hide. The sharing, the the sharing keeps going on, so they keep waking them up. And you know, when that sharing go, goes on, it's really, really, really loud. Like it's really scary. 
and then and just obviously all the time communicating with them to see like if I can help in anything, if I can do anything with them, because it's just you know they can live. I, I was lucky like I was able to live and tell my story, but they have to live that every single day. They're still there, so I always keep praying for them and hopefully it ends soon for them because it's really hard. And the the kids, you know, some of them like they're eighteen, they're you know seventeen, they have to live there, and you know it's really hard. You consider yourself one of the lucky ones for getting out. You have Ukrainian teammates who are still there. Yeah. Were any of your other foreign teammates who are trying to leave, have they all got out or are some still trapped in the Ukraine? Um, I think I think they off. Yeah, yeah, they've gone out. Um, the last one to go out was yesterday. Two of them actually, one from Ghana, Kojakubu, and one from Brazil, Lucas. He was at the Polish border for two days. Waiting. And that's the Polish border, yeah. Yeah, he and then he was there for two days waiting, doing fire camps to warm up his feet and arms. Like he was there for two days, and he finally got uh, to the Polish border. And I think he's currently in Portugal. And Jakub from Ghana, he got passed on the Hungarian border, and uh, he's currently in Hungary still, Budapest. He's going to Czech Republic to a court to a Ghanaian consul, and they will game, they will game to Ghana from there. So yeah. Luckily, they got past. Absolutely. And if I can take you back to the border crossing in Hungary, when you guys were outside the car, and I, I asked this just to make sure we have the details correct, how many hours were you outside that car? How many hours were you waiting outside? Were you um, in a shelter? Were you in the cold? What was that experience I was, like? I was literally stranded outside in the cold. It was freezing. My, cause even me, I can't handle cold that much because I come from like a whole country. So I was really freezing, and I stayed there minimum waiting for hours just and still looking for a way to um to get past it but yeah we're outside just standing no shelter there were no shelters because there weren't as much people as poland poland was chaotic but hungary border it wasn't as packed that the polish border but yeah we just tried outside it was really cold so it took about four hours of waiting in the cold before they would process you. And that came via the call from the Croatian prime minister uh, to yeah. help you guys get there and get through. When you were standing at the border, um, and again, I asked this question because it's something we've reported and we've seen reported on, on many um, outlets is the fact that African and Indian migrants trying to cross the border have been stopped. They haven't been allowed to go over. Um, and they've complained about racism and uh, being treated really badly by the border authorities. When you were at the Hungarian border, what, what did you notice? What did you see? Um, personally, I didn't see anything um, racist there, um, mostly because there were not as many immigrants there, like from India or African people. It was more like Italians and people in the vehicle they were mostly ukrainian people were with like italian passports and stuff or like you know other passports from europe but um i, I did hear like in the police border they were pulling like the black people at the back of the queue and they wouldn't let them go through sometime before the white people but from my experience i didn't see anything uh racist or experience anything racist um to get past or notice anything Actually, as well, one of the one Indian guy, he crossed with us. He he asked also them like, "Are you with them? Are you with us?" 
and we say, oh yeah, yeah, with us, and then he crosses us well with us, he's Indian guy. So yeah, we, we didn't get nothing, nothing about racism or anything like that. Sure. So again, I, I asked mainly to get the story right. Did you see any black or Indian um, people trying to cross being sent to the back of the line? Or is no. that just what you heard? That's what I heard. Like from my experience, I haven't seen anything like, um, you know, with the, with all this racism and stuff. But that also happened after I crossed that the news I've been hearing has been recent. So, you know, I don't really have an, uh, enough information about that. But from my experience, I haven't seen anything like that. Got you. The Indian gentleman who joined your party when you crossed, do you think he would have got over on his own or do you think it helped that he, he yeah, came in with you guys? I think guys? it helped because that moment we were already close and we were talking about it, so in the passport and stuff. And he was talking to one of my teammates. So, yeah, it did really help that we were there at that point. I don't think he would have got past because he was, he was on his own there. So, yeah. And he was on foot, I'd imagine? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um. This is obviously such an incredible story. There's so much to unpack, Amilcar. I mean, this is, I mean, a pretty, a pretty crazy story. Um, what was the most scary thing on your journey? For me, it was uh, when we broke down and we were just stranded there. And I kept, I kept seeing, like, tanks going past us and just the troops inside, like, you know, when you see someone wearing the, before when I was in Ukraine, I used to see like, because where we train is close to like the, one of the army camps where people train. So sometimes you will have gunshots and see people wearing like the army uniform. But I didn't feel like that point of time, I didn't feel like scared or anything. But the other, that, that, that night, I was, when I see them, like, you know, you see lots of them together inside like this big tank. I was worried because I was thinking, imagine like someone from Russia sees them here. They start shooting each other and so maybe something comes up to rebound to us or something like that. So that was the most scary thing that I would say. Like just seeing the tanks with the troops inside and stuff. You've spoken about the scariest moment. What was the moment where you felt most helpless? Was that at the border? Yeah, at the border. That, that's when I, all my, like, all my, like, uh, I, I thought, like, when I got to the border, I was going to be, like, finally, like, relieved, like, but they told me now, my, one of my teammates told me, we're not there yet. Um, don't like, don't sing victory yet because we're still, like, we're still in Ukraine. I was thinking, yeah, it'll be fine. But then when they told us it can't get past, I was just like, yeah, I'm staying here. There's no way back out. And then we had no car now. Like all the cars were like 10 hours away. So you were thinking now, even if we have to go to another border, how will we get to the other border? Like we can't walk. So at that point of moment, I was thinking, wow. So this is it. We got to here, but yeah, I felt so helpless because it's nothing I could, I could have done anyways. What did you do to keep yourself calm? We talk about mental health. Mental health is an important aspect. Mm. How were you ensuring your mindset was strong, was calm? Um, were you praying? Was there a mantra that you had? What, what, what did you do? I just kept sleeping. Like even if I wasn't like even if I couldn't sleep anymore, I was just closing my eyes, closing my eyes and thinking about when I was when I was in Spain, when I was in England, just chill and just thinking about the actual people that live in Ukraine. Like they have no way out. They have to stay, they have to fight, have to stay there. So I was trying to put my position in a place where I was a bit more lucky 
than them. So I was more like, even like if I go to the through the border, like they 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 would not be able to my teammates like. I so just be grateful for anything that happens. Like I just kept telling my parents that I'm good, it's okay, like I'll I'll be fine. I was just calming my parents because I didn't want anything to happen to them, like by stress or anything. Because my mom has high high blood pressure, so if I tell her like, "Oh, this happened," I'm not feeling okay, or I'm I'm stranded uh, in the motorway, she could like have a panic attack or anything. So I just kept, I just kept um, whenever I had a chance, you know, just kept calling my parents and just letting them know I was okay, so they could be calm. So that would be also calm. If that would calm calm me down, because. If they calm, I'll be calm. Well, if my mom is panicking, she will be in the stress that she's having because I know she's not all right. She's just panicking at home, thinking I'm, I'm not all right. So I just make it so I'm all right. And by thinking I'm all, right, I'm all right, I'll feel more like, you know, better. So I'll just keep myself calm and just thinking everything will be fine. You're newly turned 20. Yeah. This is, you know, you're still a young man. You're still learning the world. You're still blazing a trail. Um, do you think that you will go for some form of counseling or professional help to just mm. process what you've been through? No, I don't think I will be. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I will because I, I don't think I've, I've experienced a really bad life with my birthday and then I experienced a really bad situation and like, the world and stuff. But, you know, I don't think it, it will affect me mentally because... I just feel like I made it out. I didn't experience anything. Like I didn't see any dead bodies. Or I didn't see anything like it would traumatize me or think like, wow, that uh, I can't believe I've seen this. But it, I mean, I will not forget this for sure. I will not forget this. It's something I would tell my grand, my kids, grandkids. But yeah, I won't. I won't go to no nowhere to like get treatment or anything. I just now put my head into what's next. Do you think you'll ever return to the Ukraine Premier League to play again? Um, this is, I don't think so. It's really difficult now because they're spending the league for one month. And right now, um, my my parents, there, there's no way I'm going back to Ukraine. Like My mom will not let me go back to Ukraine. My dad will not let me go back to Ukraine. Um, so now it's really difficult now because I'm a, I'm a professional footballer now. But... Um, I have no, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a professional footballer now, and I have no um, I have no club now, basically, because I can't really go back to Ukraine. So I'm just waiting for the future, what brings. If uh, if I can train with anyone or, you know, keep, I'm going to keep keeping myself informed for anything that comes. But going back to Ukraine is really, it's not really an option this point of time even when the war finishes uh, I don't think if the if football would be the same in Ukraine it would, it would, if they would recover from the war because you, you know to recover from a war it doesn't take you know a couple of years it takes a lot of time so people are thinking they will live in the countries and stuff so I'm just now going to focus on training keep myself informed and be ready for anything that comes given your ordeal given how unprepared you say the club were, I have to imagine there's a trust issue with you perhaps not wanting to go back. Yeah, as well, like me, I'm just thinking like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go back myself if I had a chance because, you know, 
I just don't feel like that's my place anymore. You know, they, 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 it really it really looked like my place when this was starting. Like I was happy there. You know, I thought I was gonna make a name of my. I was, I was, I was gonna make a name and a career out there because everything was going fine. I just walked to the first team. It was called my first professional goal. Everything was going, you know, on the right right path. But this happened and the way they acted as well, it didn't really reassure me now. So going back, I don't think it's an option anymore. What were your dreams when you first started out playing in the Ukraine Premier League? Was it to win the league, play in the Champions League, win the Golden uh, Boot? What, what, uh, what did you envisage? I, obviously, my team is a team that always finishes between fourth position, like top five in the Premier League. So they usually play Europa League. And now this new league that's called the Conference League, they, they'll usually be in there. I was on the bench, actually, with them in the Conference League. So my, I was just thinking I want to play Champions League or Europa League and score one goal or just score my, my first professional goal. And it happened. And I played in these like, big teams like Shakhtar Donetsk and Dinamo Kiev. And that's thing, like, when I was in England and my agent told me about going to Ukraine, the first thing that came to my mind is, like, if I go to Ukraine, I'll be able to play in Shakhtar or Dinamo Kiev. So when I actually got the opportunity with the first team, I was on the bench for, uh, against Shakhtar and Dinamo Kiev, and I played both games. So I was thinking, like, I'm playing against world-class players that like, they play in Champions League, they play against big clubs. It's a big experience. So when I achieved that, and then I see, when I played against them, I thought myself, like, I need to, like, <laughs> I'm nowhere near them. I feel like um, I'm really far from them. I need to work hard if I want to play, like, in this big level. So that really hurt me as well. And then my dream was just to play Champions League. I just want to play in the big leagues and against the best players. So, yeah. You've obviously been through an incredibly difficult period. What would you say your highlight was during your time in the Ukraine? I know it might sound like a strange question to ask now, but when you look back at your two years you were there, what would you say was um, your best experience? My first professional goal, obviously. Um, when I scored my first goal in a big stadium like that, um, I scored the feeling of the fans shouting my name, uh, everything like making my mom proud, my dad proud. Like that's what everyone wants to be like. Like all the footballers that play, they aspire to be professional football players and like score in like a big, like a big stadium, you know. And it was a, it was a nice goal, and it felt it felt really good. Like seeing my name out there, like. You know, seeing me in the, in the TV, scoring, celebrating, everything like the stadium, like the stadium going crazy, like that, that feeling, like it just felt like I've never experienced something like that. And obviously, I wanted, I wanted to continue to be like that, but we didn't do it. The circumstances now it'll be hard, but that experience I will never forget. It. You're probably never going back to play in the Ukraine. Um, there might be relationships you've left there, friendships. Yeah. Um, are there any friendships that you're going to miss? Is there another half that you might be leaving there? I mean, is there anything that you're going to particularly miss and some friends that you fear yeah. you might never see again? Yeah, my friends, uh, my best friend there from Ukraine is Ivan Serenko. Um, I call him Modric because he, he had before long hair. He looks like him. Uh, he's really, he's, he's not, he's a in, but he's, he's now in this city, Skosaporizio in, in, in Ukraine and, they invade as well. They bomb the airport. 
he can see fire from his house. So I'm really worried for him as well, thinking like maybe something could happen to him, or he could go to the war. So I'm going to in contact with him. Even texting me like, I don't know when I will see you next. I'll just say like, for me, if you can get out of the country one day or, you know, just be safe, that what matters to me. After that, after once you find and you're out of the country, we can see it, we can meet. But right now, my, my first like, the first thing is for you to be safe. So all, all the time keep in contact and everything, like, just to let me know how it goes and stuff. But I do, I will be missing him a lot. And like, you know, all my friends that, all the teammates from there, that play for my team and stuff. I will, I will be missing them because obviously two years with people all the time because in a conversation we live together. So I will see him every day. I'll see him with my parents and stuff. So, you know, you get closer. Russia have been kicked out of international football competitions. Yeah, I've seen that. Their teams have been banned from playing in club competitions run by UEFA and run by FIFA. What do you think about that? Um, obviously, I get where it, where it comes from, but I think like um, the bad thing about this war is that Putin is just making Russia, like the citizens from Russia look bad. Like people now with Russians, like, oh, Russian people are not nice. But like the citizens, the, 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 some of the citizens, they don't want war as well. You know, like it's not, it's not their fault that Russia is, you know, fighting with Ukraine. Like if you see someone from Russia, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, from Russia. Yeah, he, 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 they have no feelings. Like they're also human beings. Like they, they're thinking the same thing as well. Like, oh, that was happening. It's not nice. But obviously, the decision was made. So I can't really say anything about it. But I just feel like, is is not it's not a fault of the citizens from Russia that they're having all this war. Like they just they are probably as well shocked as we are because they they also have they have hearts and the police they are not people from Russia that have family in Ukraine. So it's just like you know, it's not convenient for none of none of Ukrainian or Russians like the fight that's happening is just like it's crazy to be honest. What is your message to any Russians or Ukrainians listening out there to you? I just, I just, I'm praying for them. I just wish, like, they stay safe. Like, they, they don't try and do something crazy. And just stay at home, stay indoors, and keep yourself safe. We'll be praying for everyone in Russia and Ukraine. But, yeah, mainly in Ukraine, because they're the one that can invade. But I know people in Russia that are also praying for Ukrainians. Because I don't think war no one wants war so it's not something where anyone will wish on anyone so i know everyone is praying for ukraine and like me i'm praying for my ukraine for my friends the people i know i, I just hope they stay safe there you've had a few days to look back at your journey and everything that's happened what have you learned from this ordeal well i need to listen to my god and what people tell me sometimes because like if I listen to well, my agent and other people telling me like about the war, that there's a war there, people kept telling me it's, it's me, I think. If I, from Turkey, went straight to Manchester, I probably just wouldn't go back. But looking back now, I'm thinking like, yeah, it's easy to me to say now, yeah, I sort of gone home because this happened. But at that point of time, I wasn't thinking about, about going home. I was just thinking about me playing. Like I wanted to play football. I wanted to go back. And, because I was going to the first team, I was going to play with the first team and, and that. So looking back, I just wish like I listen more to 
the people that were advising me to go back home. You're still a young man. You still want to play professional football. For those who are hearing this interview, they might not know that you're eligible for a number of countries. Um, mm. Do you want to let people know which countries you're eligible for and how you've managed to get that eligibility? In many ways, you're a man yeah. of many passports. Yeah, so obviously because I was born in Spain. I was born and, bre- I was born and raised in Spain. Um, I'm there for Spain because I lived there for like 15 years. Oh, yeah. Um, because I played there for like fifteen. Uh, I lived there for fifteen years, and then um, uh, I can play for Ivory Coast because my mom is from Ivory Coast, and I could also play for Guinea Bissau because my dad is from Guinea Bissau. And now that I go, I've lived in England for five years. I could also be eligible to play for England. And is it a case of whoever calls your number first? Yeah, like, you know, I'm I'm ready for any any like national team that calls me. Obviously, my dad wanted me to play for Guinea-Bissau because the country is his country. My mom wants me to play for Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Ivory Coast. I'm just like, you know, I'm not in a position. I'm not in a position to choose what country I'm gonna play with right now. Mama. I don't have a club. Like, <laughs> I just came back. So, anything that comes, you know, I'll be grateful to go and play all different colors. I know that you're saying you're waiting for the next step, but if I was to say to you, you could choose anywhere to go and play, whether it's in England, whether it's in the United States, whether it's back in Spain, where would you like to go next? Where would you ideally like to play if you were able to choose your next step? Yeah, obviously, um, I will, first of all, I would like to play where my family is, so, you know, I'm close to them. So it should be like, if I was to like choose, will be Spain or England just because I've got family there. But I wouldn't mind any, anywhere in Europe, like uh, United States. I wouldn't mind playing Europe or United States, like Germany, France, because it's all close. I can speak Spanish, French, English. So, you know, it's not like I would struggle if I play in any European country because, you know, I can also, com- uh, you know, communicate with them. Not like in Ukraine. In Ukraine, it was really hard for me to communicate as well because they didn't speak, you know, really much English and... You know, I didn't speak Russian because I speak Russian in Ukraine. So it was hard for me to communicate. But with my communication skills, I think I could play, you know, in a lot of countries. So, but mm-hmm. first of all, my first two options to always be Spain and England. That's, that's where I live. Wow, what an incredible story. We certainly hope you found that story enlightening and do let us know what you think by leaving a comment below or on our social media accounts. You can find us at OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. For now though, we wish you well wherever you are in the world as we hope and pray the war ends soon. All the best. Goodbye.